Uh, for the rest of us, you have your Bibles, I hope you do, please open to the book of Mark, continuing in Mark, Mark chapter 3. Mark chapter 3, if you don't have a Bible with you, there should be a blue one in the pew back in front of you. Uh, please open that one up. We'd love for you to read through God's Word with us. God's Word is so, 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 so precious to us. Um, God revealing Himself to us through His Word is just a miracle in itself, and it's so uh, awesome that we have that. Mark chapter 3. Mark is towards the back of the Bible. It's in the New Testament. Uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke. Um, okay. All right. Okay. So do you know who this is? Uh, his, and a, historian, a historian said this. Do you know who this person is? It is from his birth that most of the human race, race dates its calendars. It is by his name that millions curse. And in his name, millions pray. You know who I'm talking about? In his name, the first universities were started. In his name, the first hospitals were started. In his name, the scientific method was discovered and created. In his name, the idea of liberty came about in the human race. Who am I talking about? Oh, you're smart. That's right, you're smart. That's right, Jesus. All these things are true because Jesus is, without a doubt, the most influential man in human history. He has done more to shape our world than any other person who has ever existed. All of us, all of us, all of us have benefited from the person of Jesus Christ. Whether we know it or not, we come in contact with His incredible worthiness, power, and influence every single day of our life. Every single day of our life. And the question for all of us is not are we influenced by who He is? Because that's a given. That's true. The question for us is, who do we believe Jesus really is? What do we believe about Him? Everyone, whether they know it or not, everyone has decided in their hearts who Jesus really is. Some will treat him as if he never existed, as if he's a legend. Some will treat him as if he was a man to be rejected. Some of us will treat him like a liar or a lunatic. And some of us, through the mercy and grace of God. And some of us, through the work of the Holy Spirit. And some of us, after reading the Word of God, some of us will treat Him as Lord. C.S. Lewis, incredible Christian apologist, philosopher, scholar, 
just an incredible, incredible man. If you don't know C.S. Lewis, get to know C.S. Lewis. He puts it this way. Jesus is either a liar or He is a lunatic or He is Lord. And everyone must decide in their heart who is Jesus. Who do you say Jesus is? That's the question that will arise from Mark 3, 20 through 35. And so let's do this. There's a lot, there's a lot going into this passage. And so we're going, to, we're going to take this a few verses at a time. We're going to talk about what it says. And then we're going to ask this question. Is Jesus legend? Is he a liar? Is he a lunatic? Or is he Lord? Okay, let's read together. Big number three, little number 20. Remember, we're going to take this a bite at a time. It goes like this. Big number three, little number 20. Then he, Jesus, went home and the crowd gathered again so that they could not even eat. And when his family heard it, they went out to seize him. For they were saying, he is out of his mind. Okay. If you've been with us through Mark, you kind of are familiar with this idea that Jesus is so popular, it's become dangerous. We've seen Jesus, we've seen the crowd so, so ferociously pursuing Jesus because he can heal people and cast out demons. We saw this crowd is so furiously approaching Jesus that his life is in danger. That he might be crushed by this crowd. And so Jesus, he goes home and the crowd hears about it. What do they do? They're chasing this guy down. And they are pursuing him so fervently. Heal my son. Heal me. Cast out this demon. They're pursuing Jesus, this miracle worker, so hard that Jesus can't even get space to eat. And his family... His family has, has, we can imagine, they've heard what's going on around Jesus. Everybody's following Jesus. Everybody's coming to get near to Jesus. They're hearing these stories about him. And finally, finally, they've hit a point where they are afraid for who he is and what he's doing. You can imagine that. What if your son, moms, what if your son starts having this huge following that people are so crazy about him, they're, they're almost going to crush him, they want to get to him. Are you a little afraid of that? Yeah. They're concerned for his safety, perhaps, and maybe even more so, they are afraid of their family reputation. Your son starts saying that he's God. People are going to talk. So Mark says this, the family is so concerned, they think he is a lunatic. And so they come out and they, they want to seize him. The idea in the Greek there is they want to arrest him. That's the word. They're not going to send him to the police. They want to, they want to grab him and arrest him. They want to take him to the loony bin. Why would they consider him a lunatic? What if your son or brother or sister was teaching this? Jesus says, I 
am bringing the kingdom of God near. And I can bring you into the kingdom of God. What if your son, daughter, mom, dad, cousin, Jesus is teaching that He forgives sins. No one forgives sins but God. Jesus is hanging out in the wilderness. He's hanging out in the desert. He's barely getting sleep. He's barely able to eat. Crowds are surrounding Him all the time. And this is a little crazy. Listen to this. Jesus is hanging out with sinners, prostitutes, and tax collectors. Now, I taught that boy better than that. You can kind of hear some of that going on. Not only that, but he has come to these religious leaders, these Pharisees, and he begins to argue with them. You don't do that. That kind of stuff's going to get you killed. Let's continue. Verse 22. And the scribes who came down from Jerusalem were saying, He is possessed by Beelzebul and by the prince of demons. He casts out demons. The family was right to be concerned about Jesus. A delegation, a group of scribes from Jerusalem. These men would have been from the Sanhedrin. You recognize that name? The Sanhedrin, the big shots, the creme de la creme, the guys who make the religious decisions. We've seen the Pharisees. The Pharisees are like low men on the totem pole. The Sanhedrin is at the top. And they're hearing things about this guy named Jesus. And he's healing people. And he's casting out demons. And he's saying, I'm bringing the kingdom of God. And the good news is you can be forgiven of your sins. Repent and believe. And we start seeing people who are not Jewish come to Jesus. And so these religious leaders hear about all these things happening and they say, okay, we must go check these guys out. So they send scribes who are experts in the law of God. They send them out to go inspect Jesus' message and his ministry and who he is as a person. And they are on official business. They are there to investigate Jesus to see if he was a false teacher. And these are the type of guys that if they decide you're a false teacher, you're going to die. That's what's going on here. And they came out to investigate kind of his home base of Capernaum. That's where Jesus spent a lot of time. That's where a lot of his followers were from. They came to inspect the city to see if it was a seduced city. To see if Jesus' influence was so great in this area that they had to come to the city and deal with the city as a whole. Is the city being preyed on by this false teacher? And so the scribes come and they inspect Jesus. They inspect his message. They inspect who he is. They inspect what, they have, what he is doing. And they say, this man is a liar. 
He's possessed by Beelzebul. Your translation might say Beelzebub. He's, he's possessed by the Lord of the house. That's what Beelzebul means. The Lord of the house. It was a Canaanite demon. For the Jews, they took that name Beelzebul. And for the Jews, it meant the prince of demons or Satan. Jesus is possessed, they say. Therefore, the scribes are teaching. They're telling everybody Jesus is a false teacher. He's a liar. He is casting out demons because he is demon-possessed himself. Notice. Notice. These men aren't denying Jesus' miracles. These men aren't denying that Jesus cast out demons. It seems like that, if Jesus wasn't, that would seem to be the route to go. Say so he's not doing any of these things. But they can't say that. Because he is doing these things. And they saw it, and they saw it, and they saw it, and they saw it, and they saw it back there. He's doing these things. It really did happen. And notice, they aren't in the camp of the family. Notice, they didn't say he was crazy. That seems like it'd be an easy thing to say. Stop listening to this guy. He's crazy. Look at him. Why didn't they say that? Because he's not crazy. So Jesus is doing these things, they claim, because he is himself possessed, and not just possessed by him, but possessed by Satan, possessed by Beelzebul. Let's see Jesus' response. Verse 23 goes like this. And he called them to him. He called the scribes to him, called the people to him, Jesus did, and said to them in parables, how can Satan cast out Satan? Number one, how can Satan cast out Satan? Number two, if a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. Number three, you're saying I'm possessed by Lord of the house, by Beelzebub, Lord of the house. And if a house is divided against itself, that house will not be able to stand. And if Satan has risen up against himself and is divided, he cannot stand, but he is coming to an end. 27, you say I'm possessed by Lord of the house, Beelzebul. 27, but no one can enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man. Then he may enter and plunder his house. So, Jesus is possessed by Beelzebub. That is why Jesus is casting out demons. That's what's going on here. Jesus says, that is a silly thing to say. So you're saying that I'm possessed by Satan and I'm casting out Satan. Is Satan schizophrenic? You get out of him, me. That makes sense. So, Satan, you are saying, scribe, Satan is trying to destroy his own kingdom? Jesus says if, if Satan was standing against his own forces, he would be losing power and influence. Satan would be dwindling away and dying. Is that the case? Are you sinning less? Are you feeling less temptation? No. That's obviously not the case. 
And then he knocks it out of the park. Beelzebul, Lord of the house. Jesus is saying, if you say, I am possessed, and these men are possessed, guess what? You're saying, I'm possessed by Satan himself, Lord of the house. If anyone kicks out the strong man from his house, he must first overpower him. Therefore, I am more powerful than Beelzebul. I'm more powerful than Satan. I'm not under the influence of Satan. I terrify Satan. Lord of the house has dwelled this man here. I come and I tie the strong man up and I steal all his stuff. I'm not possessed by him. What you're seeing happen is these guys are terrified of me. That's who Jesus is. Jesus is casting out demons because he is God the Son, using the power of God the Holy Spirit to cast out demons, to come into the strong man's house, to Satan's house, tie him up, steal all his stuff. And then Jesus gives the scribes a very intense warning. Verse 28. Truly I say to you, all sins will be forgiven the children of men. Are you glad about that? Boy, I'm thankful that all my sins will be forgiven by the children of man. And whoever blasphemes, they utter. But whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness, but is guilty of an eternal sin. For they, the scribes, were saying, he has an unclean spirit. Now, some of us are going to read that and go, did I commit that? Have I done that? Let's, let's try to be really clear what's going on here. The scribes are on the verge of blaspheming the Holy Spirit. So what is blasphemy of the Holy Spirit? Jesus is casting out demons because he is the Son of God, that he is God in flesh, in the power. He's using the power of the Holy Spirit to cast out these demons. And the scribes are blaspheming the Holy Spirit. What's going on? Blasphemy of the Holy Spirit is the conscious and deliberate, okay, deliberate, it's not an accident, You're not going to blaspheme the Holy Spirit by accident. Okay, You're not going to wake up tomorrow and not be able to be forgiven by accident. Okay, Blasphemy of the Holy Spirit is a conscious and deliberate rejection of the saving power and grace of God released through Jesus' word and act. So how does that apply here? So Jesus is casting out demons, which is a sign He's showing us all and showing them that He is who He says He is. That He's come saying, I'm bringing the kingdom of God. I'm I'm bringing the Holy Spirit to you. I'm bringing forgiveness for your sins. How do we, why should we believe that? Well, He's healing people. He's going to raise people from the dead and He is casting out demons. And so this is a sign showing Him to be the King of kings and Lord of lords. Casting out demons, it's revealing his message of the kingdom is true. And it's showing that Jesus is bringing the kingdom now. In the kingdom of God, there's not going to be any need to cast out demons because they're not going to be there. He's preparing, he's bringing us into the kingdom of God by casting out these demons. It is a sign to point others to Jesus. And the scribes are calling this work of God 
In the salvation plan through Jesus' word and act, the scribes are calling this work of salvation pointing to Jesus. Their scribes are calling this work the work of Satan. The scribes were attributing the mission, miracles, and motives of Jesus to Satan. That is a flat-out rejection of who Jesus is. Is that clear? I know every time we talk, I mean, it just jostles our hearts because we don't want to commit an unforgivable sin. Okay? If you see my still concerned about that, come see me after. But don't forget, it's not an, ac- it's not an accidental thing. You don't wake up and accidentally do it. Okay? Come see me, please, if you have issues with that, please. Okay. Verse 31 and 35. And his mother... And his brothers came, people who think he's a lunatic, and standing outside, they sent to him and called him. And the crowd that was so large, the crowd was sitting around him, and they said, they passed it through the crowd, and they said to him, your mother and your brothers are outside seeking you. And he, Jesus, knowing that what they think about, knowing he's a lunatic, they think he's a lunatic, and he answered them, who are my mother and my brothers? And looking around about those who sat around him, He said, here are my mother and brothers. For whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and sister and mother. Jesus' family comes to get him. They think he's a lunatic. The crowd is so packed around Jesus that they have to pass the message on through the crowd. Jesus hears that they are here. Jesus knows they think he's a lunatic and that they're here to bring him home. Can Jesus go home? No, he can't go. If, if he goes home, what happens to us? We are still dead in our sins and transgressions on our way to hell. Jesus can't go home. For Jesus to go home, we would be lost in our sins because the cross and the resurrection wouldn't happen. So Jesus says he is here for his eternal family who are all who repent and believe the gospel. All those who do the will of God. Now Jesus is not rejecting his family. He has obeyed and been respectful toward his parents and his family. He loves his family. In fact, one of the most touching scenes of the crucifixion is Jesus hanging on the cross. And while dying, he sees his mother standing at the foot of the cross. And he sees John, the disciple whom he loves, and he tells John, John, behold your mother. Mother, behold your son. What's he doing? Even as he's dying, He prepares a place for his mother to be taken care of. Jesus loves his family. But what Jesus is doing, he's he's stating priorities. Eternity and repentance and the good news of Jesus Christ and the belief in who he is takes priority over blood bonds. Do we see that? That'll jostle our heart, won't it? So we, what we see here is we see we see three three answers to the question who is Jesus? The scribes thought he was a liar. His family thought he was a lunatic. And those in his eternal family believe he is Lord. 
So who is Jesus? Who do you say he is? We're going to add another L to this equation. In the modern world, we, you might hear that Jesus is he's not, not a liar, he's not a lunatic, he's not Lord. He's a legend. He's a legend. Many in the modern world try to say that Jesus isn't Lord by using the semi-popular but totally misguided belief that Jesus is just a legend. This belief says that for some reason, religious zealots who wrote the Bible concocted this idea about Jesus and even died for this concocted belief, but he wasn't a real person. That's what this idea says. This idea that Jesus is a legend is popular on the internet, but it is soundly rejected by virtually all scholars of any faith background, including atheists. People who study these things for a a living don't take that seriously. Because to believe that Jesus is a legend, you must ignore a great deal of historical evidence that would place you in the realm of a conspiracy theorist. I can talk about this forever. Do you want me to? Okay, I won't. Why is that true? Well, the books of the Bible are some of the most, if not the most, reliable historical documents of the ancient world. The Bible, the account of Jesus, was written by the apostles or under their supervision. In other words, the New Testament account of Jesus is eyewitness testimony. To believe that Jesus is legend is to say that the Gospels are like mythology. The Gospels are not written like mythology. We talked about C.S. Lewis. C.S. Lewis says they are written written as eyewitness history. C.S. Lewis, Christian apologist, scholar, what he taught about maybe most was about things like fantasy, about things like mythology. That's what he taught. That's what he studied. That's what he had degrees in. And C.S. Lewis said this, I've been reading poems, romances, vision literature, legends, and myths my entire life. I know what they are like. And I know that not one of them is like these Gospels. It's not a mythology. The Gospels are reliable historical accounts. We see that. They are reliable accounts on many things, people and places and events. What the Bible says happens really did happen. One of my favorite examples is Pontius Pilate. Condemns Jesus to the cross in the accounts of the gospel. For a long time, people who reject the Bible said, well, see, Pontius Pilate, we don't even know if Pontius Pilate really existed. It can't really be true. Then a few decades ago, we found an inscription that talks about Pontius Pilate, the place that he was supposed to be at the time that he's supposed to be. He really existed too. And the transmission of the original copies of the gospels, the, the original copies were copied and copied and copied, and they are incredibly accurate to the point that we must even consider it miraculous. What we have written down is what they really wrote. The reality is that Jesus was not a legend, that he was a historical figure, and the Gospels are an accurate account of what he taught and what he did. Jesus was not a legend. You cannot cast him off by saying he just didn't exist. So Jesus wasn't a legend. Was he a liar? 
The scribes from the Sanhedrin believed Jesus was a liar. So what would Jesus be lying about? Think about this. What would Jesus be lying about? Jesus would be lying about that he could forgive sins as God. He'd be lying about that. Jesus claims authority over demons and Satan like God. He would be lying about that. Jesus claims to be bringing the kingdom of God to man and man to the kingdom of God. Jesus calls himself God. Now to gather a huge following claiming to bring forgiveness of sins as God, to, to gather a huge following claiming that he is bringing us heaven and us to heaven, to be claiming all these things and to be a liar is to be unspeakably evil. As we read the Gospels, as we've been traveling through Mark, does Jesus appear to have the character of a man who is unspeakably evil? Is Jesus unspeakably evil? No. In fact, what we see is not a man who's a liar. We see a man who tells the truth no matter what it will cost him. Jesus tells the truth and he will lose followers. Jesus tells the truth and he is separated from his earthly family. Jesus tells the truth and he will be killed for it. Jesus' message throughout the Gospels is one with a profoundly moral code of conduct Jesus is holy. Jesus is unselfish. Jesus is ethical. Jesus is moral. Jesus is truthful. Jesus is sacrificial. Jesus is loving. Jesus is accepting of the lowest of the low of society. Jesus is kind. Jesus is committed. This kind of character that's displayed in the Gospels is not one of a man who's unspeakably evil. If we think so, we need to ask ourselves about our moral compass. In fact, this character of Jesus led John Stuart Mill, a skeptic and an atheist, an opponent of Christianity. The character of Jesus led him to write this. But about the life and sayings of Jesus, there's a stamp of personal originality combined with a profundity of insight in the very first rank of men of sublime genius of whom our species can boast. When this preeminent genius is combined with the qualities of probably the greatest moral reformer and martyr to that mission who ever existed upon earth, religion cannot be said to have made a bad choice in pitching on this man as the ideal representative and guide of humanity. Nor even now would it be easy, even for an unbeliever like him, to find a better translation of the rule of virtue and goodness than to endeavor so to live that Christ would approve of our life. When this atheist, John Stuart Mill, comes to the Gospels and reads about Jesus, even an atheist reads that and says, this man is incredibly good. And even an atheist will read that and say, I want this man, I want to live so that this man would approve of my life. Isn't that an amazing statement? Do we as Christians hold to that? 
Notice as well, notice that his family, Jesus' family, this idea that Jesus is a liar and incredibly evil, notice that his family, those who knew him longest, didn't think that he was lying to everyone. They knew his character for decades. They knew he wasn't the type to deceive, to harm, or to seek attention through lies. They say this boy that we raised for, for, for a long time, this boy we lived with for decades, he's not the type to lie like this. So something else must be going on. And finally, we mustn't believe that Jesus was a liar because liars don't die for their lies. Many people die for falsehoods that they believe are true. But people don't lie. Sane people don't die for what they know is a lie. Jesus is not a legend. Jesus is not a liar. Is Jesus a lunatic? His family thought he was a lunatic. Is Jesus a lunatic? Did Jesus mistakenly think he was God? Maybe he's sincere, but wrong. Maybe he says he's God and he sincerely believes that, but he's just wrong. However, that kind of thing isn't a normal mistake to make. It's not a normal mistake to say, I'm God. That's not a normal thing. I might mistakenly say that I'm the best preacher in the world. And I'd truly just be a prideful fool, but you could see me saying that. But if I think I'm God, that's a different thing. C.S. Lewis says it this way, for someone to think that he's a, he is God is like saying that he is a poached egg. That's crazy. But was Jesus crazy? When we read his life, does he seem crazy? Peter Kreft can say it this way, almost no one who has read the Gospels can honestly and seriously consider that opinion. Jesus has in abundance qualities which liars and lunatics conspicuously lack. Jesus has practical wisdom. Get this, remember this. Jesus has the ability to read human hearts. He is deep and winning love, his passionate compassion, his ability to attract people and make them feel at home and forgiven, his authority, and above all, his ability to astonish, his unpredictability, his creativity. Liars and lunatics are so dull and predictable. No one who knows the Gospels and human beings can seriously entertain the possibility that Jesus was a liar or a lunatic or a bad man. And again, let's see a lunatic. Again, notice that those who were his enemies, the Sanhedrin, they didn't say that Jesus was a lunatic. That'd be an easy way to sweep him under the rug. But they didn't because he, they couldn't. So if Jesus isn't a legend, if he isn't a lunatic, if he isn't a liar, is he Lord? If he isn't a liar, a legend, or a lunatic, what is he? He is who he says he is. I don't think there's another option. He is who he says he is. He is Lord. Jesus is Lord over demons. He's, a, he's above demons. He is Lord of lords and kings of ki king of kings. That's why he could cast them out and why they're terrified of him because he is Lord. 
Jesus is Lord. That's why he can heal the sick. That's why the crowds were swarming all over him. Because he is Lord. How can he read the hearts of mankind? Because he is Lord. How does he attract all kinds of people from the top to the bottom of society? Because he is Lord. How will he raise the dead? Because he is Lord. And how come death cannot hold him? Because he is Lord of lords. How can he forgive our sins? Because he is is Lord. How can he call us to repent? Because he is Lord. In fact, and really incredible, something that gets me so excited about this passage itself is that we have his family and we have the Sanhedrin coming to Jesus and we have in those groups two men who thought he was a lone lunatic, who thought he was a liar, and these two men came to believe that he was Lord. We see James, the brother of Jesus, writes a book of the New Testament. We see James, possibly the eldest brother of Jesus, he would have been among the family members coming to get Jesus for being a lunatic. Come home, brother, you're, at, you're talking crazy. you got to come home. We see him in Mark 3. And the next time we see James, the brother of Jesus, he is leader of the church in Jerusalem. He became convinced that Jesus was Lord. He repented of his sins and believed in Jesus. He saw the resurrected Jesus. He believed that Jesus was Lord to his grave when he was killed by the religious leaders. We see James believing he was a lunatic, hearing the gospel, seeing Jesus being resurrected, and believing that he is Lord, and believing that to his death. The Sanhedrin thought Jesus was a liar. And we meet the man called Joseph of Arimathea, Jewish leader, who came to believe that Jesus was not a liar, but came to believe that Jesus was Lord. So much so that Joseph of Arimathea climbed the cross, took down Jesus' body, and buried Jesus in his own tomb. James thought he was a lunatic, came to understand him as Lord. Joseph of Arimathea believed he was a liar, came to see him as Lord. And now our question is, is he our Lord? Our question is, is he, the, is he the highest priority of your life? Are you feel willing to follow him no matter the cost? Have you come to understand that he is not a legend? He is real. He is as real and alive today as he ever was. Have you come to believe that? Have you come to believe that he is not a liar, but the things that he says are true, that he is Lord of all, and he has come to bring all those who repent and believe, to bring us forgiveness? Have you come to believe that? Here's the good news. For all who believe that He is Lord, for all who repent and believe the good news that Jesus, Lord of Lords, has come to bring the kingdom to us by forgiveness of our sins. 
The good news is we have become his eternal family. That he will never leave us or forsake us. He will deliver his family from hell because he is Lord. Because he is Lord, he will provide for his eternal family the best of the best for eternity. And he will teach his eternal family how to live as forgiven and righteous people. And he will never leave his family. Who do you say Jesus is? I'm asking the worship team to come up. Who do you say Jesus is? Maybe you believe that he, maybe you come to church and you've played the part of Christian your entire life, but you've lived like he's just a legend, that he's not really who he says he is. Is that where you are? Maybe you're here today and you are like me and you, you, Jesus is your Lord and you've repented and believed, but, but you need to ask yourself, what more do I need to give to Jesus? What more of my life do I need to give to Jesus? Am I willing to follow him wherever he leads? I'm going to invite you. If you've treated Jesus like a legend, a liar, or a lunatic, we're going to invite you today. The evidence is clear to me. I pray the evidence is clear to you. I pray the word of God is clear to you. Jesus is Lord. And what we would like to do during this song is we would like to invite you to do what Jesus invites us to do in Mark. Jesus comes and he preaches that he is Lord. And he comes and he calls us, repent, turn from your sins, and believe the good news that Jesus is Lord. And he can take our sins, separate our sins from us as far as the east is from the west. Bring us into the kingdom of God through the cross, of, uh, through his cross. He died on the cross, taking our sins for us. And he rose again, conquering sin, death, and hell for all who believe. So what we'd like to do today, if Jesus is not your Lord, we're going to invite you, repent and believe the good 